Amen. Well, let's hear God's Word with that in mind. We're reading today, this morning, from Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as as you see the day drawing near. This is God's Word. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we come to the end of our summer series, uh, walking through Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. And we've been building a foundation this entire series that we're hoping to, in these final three weeks, which is a three-week mini-series uh, on the phrase encouraging one another, we hope to build off of what we've been doing in order to deeply apply this phrase of encouraging one another to ourselves and to our life within this church. What we're doing is we're we're walking in light of our vision as a church, our vision to be a place where people can discover Jesus, where they can grow in their faith, and where we can impact the world in that way. And we want to do everything like this as a church, continuing in this direction down to the website, so that when you, when you log onto the website and looking for any piece of information you are, what you'll do, since it's all designed in, in terms of discovering or growing or impacting, you're seeing in, in a small way, hey, this smaller piece that I'm looking for, this, this ministry that I'm a part of, is part of this larger vision that we're going after. We're doing it in the sermon series, and by God's grace, we'll continue it more and more. So, so last week, we thought about Discover. Today, we're thinking about growing in our faith, and then we're going to think about impacting the world uh, next week on that. So, so, I've been thinking a lot this week about encouraging one another, and my mind keeps getting drawn back to northern India. Uh, in the Himalayan mountains, there's a mountain called Mount Miru uh, that's one of the hardest mountains in the world to climb. Uh, if, you, if you're a climber, to even tell other people that you're attempting this would almost seem arrogant. Uh, dozens of the best climbers in the world have tried and failed over and over, so much so that a number of people would be on record saying, like, this thing's just, it's never going to be climbed. Um, but in 2008, there was a group of three people led by uh, one of the best climbers in the world, Conrad Anker, uh, who they could see the top, and they could actually, they were on this granite cliff face at the very top of it that looks like a shark fin, it's 1,500 feet, they could see the line that they would take to actually make it to the top. So they started to encourage one another. Uh, But oddly enough, they started to encourage one another to turn around and save their own lives. Because like so many people who had been climbing this mountain before, rain and storms had come and knocked out their food. They didn't really have water, and it it was literally so cold that they were surrounded by snow that if they would have eaten it, they would have gone further into hypothermia, possibly could have died. They didn't have the fuel to heat it up. They needed, they needed to turn around because another night on the mountain meant death to them. But in 2009, 2010, 2011, in the midst of injuries to, to at least a couple of the members, 
they were really serious, uh, they started to encourage one another. No, we got this. We're going to prepare a little bit better. We know what's happening this time. We've done it before. We can do it. So, in 2011, uh, I won't spoil the ending, but they got within 1,500 feet again to the shark's fin and started to encourage one another to make it to the top again. There's kind of multiple levels of encouragement on a path towards something, a path towards life, a path towards victory, or a path towards death, away from a path towards death. And it reminded me of that because the author of Hebrews, in our book that we've been studying, consistently portrays Christians as fellow travelers, not up a mountain, but as travelers through this world to our better abiding home, our lasting possession that we have. Right after this passage, uh, in chapter 11, around verses 13 and 14, Uh, He describes, he's using Abraham as an example who was called out from his home and lived as a traveler for the rest of his life, a sojourner, uh, because he was looking for an eternal home just like us, just like we are. So so like him, we are foreigners and strangers and travelers on this earth. And, And last week, we defined encouragement as mutual biblical exhortation, as coming alongside of each other to point forwards toward something. Uh, so, so with the imagery of a traveler, the, the point, I think, for us is we're thinking about growth as a church. How do we apply this phrase, encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near to, to our growth together as a church, is to think about it this way. The, the author of Hebrews is calling us as a band of travelers to come alongside of each other, to call each other to follow Jesus until we meet Him face to face. So as a band of travelers… We come alongside of each other, call each other to follow Jesus until we meet him face to face. It's just the three ways that it's doing that for us today um, are this. We're going to be walking through them. It, it, it calls us to become the type of people who encourage one another. It calls us to look for contexts where this can happen. And the entire book as a whole, it, we, inside of those contexts, we act as fellow travelers within these contexts. So, so the first thing that it does, though, in, in the very way that it's phrased, is it, it calls us to become the type of people who encourage one another. Here's what I mean by that. So, so last week, I spent the beginning of the week in North Carolina. My family gets together every year at the beginning of that time because of birthdays in the family. Uh, it, in London, in particular, my two-year-old niece, is, she's born, she was born two years ago uh, at the beginning of August, so, so we travel down there and celebrate her. It's awesome. Uh, when I was down there, I was struck by a rule that they had uh, in that family, which is a rule that I would expect most families to have, which is, London, if you're in the parking lot, you have to be holding one of our hands. Because the world that my sister and her husband live in is one in which two-year-olds are energetic and really focused on what they're going after. It's a world in which cars are much larger than two-year-olds. It's a world in which two-year-olds can be fast and they can kind of just get away at a time. But the world that London lives in is, is a lot different than that. So, so the world that London lives in is one in which when you get to a parking lot, this is the time where you're finally freed from the prison that's called a car seat. Uh, It's it's a world in which you're finally free to start living life and living life to the full, meaning we're just taking off. We're just going in that way. So so this, though, this different worlds that they're living in, this different understanding of what's actually happening of ourselves in the world, that's just one example of a larger principle that there are things that we have to know and realize about this world uh, that if we integrate them into our lives, they change our very instincts of what we do 
moving forward. So, so with, with us today, as we're looking at verse 25 and the phrase, at the end of verse 25, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, the way that it's phrased gives us some clues about who we are and what this world is in a way that will help us train ourselves to become the people who instinctually do this. Because I don't want us to first jump to just what should I be doing, but first, who should I be? Who should I be shaped into in order to be encouraging one another in this way? So the first way that does this uh, is it reminds us of a sobering fact. There is a future judgment coming. You see at the end, it says, as you see the day drawing near. In a lot of translations, the, the word day is capitalized. And it's capitalized because it's referring back to this phrase that's used throughout the Old Testament called the day of the Lord. This, this phrase, the day of the Lord, is used in the Old Testament to refer to the, the time when God, who is king and ruling as judge at all times, comes back and enacts that judgment on the entire world or on any particular nation or kingdom in this world as a, as a, as a sign pointing forward to what the end is going to be. So, so, Isaiah would use it this way. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Obadiah 1.15 uses it this way. For the day of the Lord is near upon all nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. The New Testament Jesus associates this day with himself and continues it. The Apostle Paul, in even very stark language himself, describes it this way in, in, 1, in 1 Thessalonians. He says, God is just. He, he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not obey God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might on the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at among all who believe. I just want to say, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I just want you to know that I'm not reading these passages. They weren't written out of any sense of spite or arrogance. It's literally the exact opposite. These passages were written because part of the message of Christianity is that there is a day that Christ is coming back to judge. But the message of Christianity, the good news of the gospel, is that Jesus first, the, the judge of this world, came in time, in history, as a human, lived the perfect life that we can't live, and then on the cross, judgment day came early for all who have faith in Him. Because what happened on the cross is this cup of God's wrath, of we, it is done to us as, as we have done, and the judgment that has occurred for that was poured out on Jesus Himself. And He drank it to its full, so that anybody who has faith in Christ is free from this judgment. And by God's grace, we look forward to this day as our, not a day of judgment for us, but a day in which we are home with Jesus, forever and ever, where we meet him face to face. That is the good news of the gospel that is open to every single person every single day until his coming. So we should live in awareness of that. Um, 
But if you're here and, and you are a Christian, the way that this thing, the way that this phrase, the day of the Lord, the idea of a future judgment, can, can shape you into the sort of person who just instinctually encourages other people, uh, is this. Every single person that you meet, regardless of, of anything about their past or their present, is somebody who will stand before Christ at the end of time. Verse 26, look with me this way. There is, there is still a seriousness that the author of Hebrews intentionally puts for us as Christians. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Again, it's a stark verse, but what it means, it's one of the warning passages in Hebrews, but taken together with the rest of the book of Hebrews, with the rest of the Bible, what it's saying is this. If you say that you're a follower of Jesus, if I say I'm a follower of Jesus, but because of temptations, because of persecutions, I leave the path of Jesus and start following a different path, by the end of my life, I will have proven that I was not a follower of Jesus. That's what it means. And combined with verse 25, what it's saying is this, what we do as Christians, what our job is in the meantime is that one of the ways that we keep, that God has ordained that Christians stay on the path of following Jesus is by one another encouraging one another, that he has ordained that, that we encourage one another to follow Jesus until he returns. And it's your job and it's my job to prepare each other for that way. That, that's what we do as a church, all the more as you see the day drawing near. So there's a, so what he's talking about, there's a future judgment. There's also a present weakness there. Look, look with me at the very beginning of the phrase. It says, but encouraging one another. Very simple observation here. If you're talking to a group of people and you're telling them to encourage one another, you're assuming that nobody in there is sufficient in and of themselves and doesn't need help from other people. If you were talking to a group of people who are entirely self-sufficient, you wouldn't need to tell them to encourage one another. Kind of another way that you could come across that is saying is this. Um, the, the phrase encouraging one another, is, it, it's the idea. It's a corporate command. It, it, he's looking out. He's saying, all of you be encouraging, being receive, receive encouragement yourselves. What he's, what he's not saying is that every single one of us should only hear that and think, I should encourage others. Because, because as good as that is and as right as that is, it's it's only part of the picture. If I'm part of the body that is encouraging one another, it's assuming that I'm both giving and receiving encouragement myself. So, I think that this is actually important for, for this church now, because by God's grace, I've benefited from it myself significantly since I've come here. We have a people, we have a, we have a church where many people have been following Christ faithfully for a number of years. We have we have a church where many people have been leading others to follow Christ for many years. By this corporate command of encouraging one another, what this is telling every single person is that as long as you're alive and part of this band of people that are following Jesus until he comes, you both need to give and receive encouragement, that nobody is ever at any point on this earth self-sufficient in themselves. It's God who tells us to encourage one another, but it's our own pride that would tell us that's the only way that this would apply to me. So there is a present weakness that we have just because of sin and our tendency towards unbelief. 
What he also does, in the middle of the phrase, so we thought about encouraging one another, the, the day drawing near. The, the middle of it, though, says this, uh, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That phrase, and all the more, it's pretty similar to a phrase that he used back in chapter 3, conceptually. Back in chapter 3, he says, I want you to encourage or exhort one another, the exact same word, encourage one another every day, every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And the picture there is that sin is constantly attacking, constantly lying to us, and our hearts have, have sin within them that would, that would cause them to potentially believe those lies. So what, so what we should be doing is encouraging one another every day. Or, in this way, we're looking forward to the future judgment all the more as that day is drawing near. I, th- I think the reason why this is important for us as 21st century Americans is that the way that we use this term encouragement is often something that happens in a crisis. So, so, so if you lose your job, you come around somebody and you, you encourage them. If somebody comes up to you and tells you, such a difficult time right now. I don't know if I could carry on in the Christian life. We, inst- we get it. We're supposed to encourage those people, and that is great. That is an act of mercy. That is, that is bearing one another's burdens. That is encouraging one another. But the, word, the way that he's talking about this encouragement, mutual biblical exhortation, is something that's broader than that, something that's happening every day, something that's happening all the more as you see the day drawing near is something that should just mark a culture in our church. And, and when we understand that, we'll be people who, whose instincts will be to do that, to, to follow this command in that way. So, so we understand those things. We, over time, we'll become the people who tend to encourage one another. In the short term, though, immediately what we can do as a church is we can look for contexts where this can happen. We can look for contexts where this can happen. So, so by God's grace, uh, we've worked hard as a church to create contexts where this can happen, and I just want to lay out a framework for you to, to be able to think through. One of the things that you could do is join a student ministry. So, so we just had we just had baby dedications. Zoe and Blake, uh, we, and we have as, as a church, we covenanted together to say what we're going to do is we're going to pray, we're going to encourage them as they grow up. So there's Kids Harbor. There's, there's a middle school ministry. There's a high school ministry. There's a college ministry that we as a church, in obedience to that command, partial obedience to that command, we, we have these programs that are set aside in order to help them do that. And what you can do as a volunteer is step directly into this time of encouraging one another in those ways. Because all of these programs have, have large group times where people are taught, as well as small group times where you can yourself lead Bible studies and show people uh, the path. You can build relationships with students and show them in, in situations in, at crossroads, this is what following Jesus actually looks like right here. Now, I did have the opportunity to work in these student, student ministries for, for a couple of years, and I'm really grateful for it. What I found, though, was that this, this, this volunteer position that seemed like it was only for me encouraging actually was a, was a place and was a time where I received encouragement myself because this group of people who volunteers together to do this becomes like a family over time, especially as, as the years move on and you get to know each other really well. So, so this, this time, even, even joining Kids Harbor Middle School, High School, College Ministry is a place where I can both encourage and be encouraged myself in that way. 
There's also adult ministries. Um, so the same thing that's been said for, uh, for, for student ministries could also be safe, could be said for adult ministries because they're designed with a number of purposes that would lead towards this sort of encouragement. So, so there's going to be oftentimes large group settings where you're taught the Bible. What does it actually say? What does it mean? How does it apply to my life by a shepherd and by a teacher? But there's also within these teaching more and more of equipping of how do I do this myself for other people, just teaching in that way. There's, there's context for relationships so that there's informal gatherings outside of those times or in small groups, often just before and after, getting to know people, building the sort of friendships that can lead towards true mutual encouragement as we're getting to know each other, telling them about our lives in that way. Um, if, you're, if you're new and would want to talk and would want to know more about those things, just talk to me, talk to any of the pastors here. I would love to do that because of how crucial it is. Over the past year, I am convinced that my small group has been one of the largest ways that I've grown in Christ over the past year. So we meet on Thursday nights, and, and every Thursday, walking away from a Bible study with them in which they're seeing things from the text that I wouldn't see, I'm built up. But even more than that, over the course of the year, as I'm, as I'm getting to know them and deep friendship. I'm starting to see the zeal of Christ, the joy of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the faithfulness of Christ in their lives, and just little things that they're doing, not not trying to point it out to me, but just in the way that they're living their life. I'm doing it, and I'm seeing it. I'm being built up and encouraged in the faith. So, I I would want that for every single person here and love to help you in that way. But as crucial as these things are, like adult ministries, joining student ministries, they're not sufficient. So, so with a church, there has to be an informal substructure, an informal culture of encouraging one another in the normal rhythms of daily life. And I am grateful that this is happening. So I just want to point out that some of the ways that people do it as a way to spur us on to do it even more and more. There's a number of people who are inviting one another over to their houses for meals just as a consistent, on a consistent basis, getting to people together for social events, parties, to foster these sorts of friendships, to foster the sort of community that could lead towards encouraging in the faith. There's other people who are just aligning their normal family rhythms. Like, so, so people are busy, really busy. But what they're doing, they're not adding another thing to their schedule. They're just integrating people into the normal rhythm of their life. So, hey, we're going to go to the park. We're going to go to Northside Park at 3 o'clock today, send, a, send out a group text, Anybody who wants to come, feel free to come. We're, we're going to be there. We're going to be there regardless. Feel free to come along. Building relationships in that way. It's no busier in life. It's proactive thinking this way. How can I, how can I foster this, this culture of encouraging one another? Um, there's other people uh, who are doing one of the most strategic works in our church, which is using the time well before and after services. Uh, so so in, in a church, especially those who, who have been here for a while and, and know uh, who's new or who's not, they're, they're intentionally reaching out to people who might not be as well connected and, and talking to them themselves, turning, turning people that they don't know into acquaintances, turning acquaintances into friends, using the time to foster meetings with, with each other, um, or even connecting them to larger groups that would encourage them themselves. And it's so beneficial uh, when you do that. So especially if you've been around for a while, I would encourage you that you have the power, you have the ability to be doing this sort of thing by just knowing, knowing the culture of the church really well. Um, 
And, and tons of other things. The, the last one that I'll just mention is this. There's a growing movement of people who are getting together, uh, and they're not just getting together in, in trusted groups of friendships to, to study what they should be doing, but they're getting together to talk about what's actually happening in their lives. So, so they, they see this term encouragement, which means mutual biblical exhortation, and they're, and they're saying, okay, so if that's going to happen in my life, if that's going to happen in other people's lives, there has to be a time where I'm really transparent with other people. It just has to be, how can people speak into my life if there isn't? So they're getting together and saying, here's what's actually happening in my heart and in my life. And through that, they're allowing other people to speak in. And they're, they're able to speak into other lives. So, so we as a church, I just want you to know, we, we know about this, super excited about it, and are working really hard to support uh, and to further resource these groups in that way. So, so if, you, if you're interested in that as well, feel free to come up and talk to me. I would love to, would love to help you out in that way. So, so we're pursuing context. These are, there's formal, there's unofficial. We're giving ourselves to them. But I'm convinced that if we do this, as we become the sorts of people who, who tend to want to encourage each other by training our instincts, if we're people who then seek those contexts where we can do it, that over time, a couple months in, into doing this, we'll start to develop deeper friendships, and then there'll be a question that we have for all of us of, well, what does it actually mean? I, I'm hearing the phrase mutual biblical exhortation. What does that actually mean on any given Tuesday night, on any given dinner around the table? What, what does it actually mean? So for that, I would tell you that it's the final point. We act like fellow travelers within these contexts. So going back to the analogy of, uh, of travelers, of pilgrims through life, what, what we see is that the author of Hebrews, at the very end of the book, he calls this entire book a word of encouragement, a word of exhortation. It's the exact same thing. So I went through and I categorized some of the things that he's doing to encourage and pull these people along in the face so that we can build categories ourselves in this analogy of travelers to know how we should be living ourselves. So the first thing he does is he points people away from paths of sin and unbelief. We talked about it already in chapter 3. It was such a clear example. He, he, he says, take care to watch out for an unbelieving heart causing you to fall away from the living God. But in, and then telling them, encouraging one another every day so that you're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There, there's a proactive speaking truth of telling people to follow Jesus in that way. Chapter 12, he's telling them, lay aside every weight, every sin that could, that could do this. So, so in loving, trusting, open relationships with people, we're lovingly encouraging them to set aside that which is not good for them. He's also so he's away from false paths that lead to destruction, and it's also away from false guides that would lead them towards false paths. So, so the whole book itself, the structure of it is there's some teaching, and then there's an exhortation, and then there's teaching, and then another exhortation, and on and on and on and on. And what becomes clear as you read it is that the person who wrote this, the, the author of the letter of Hebrews, knows exactly what else is being told to, to his fellow travelers. He's thought about it, he's listened to it, and he's realized that it's not what the Bible says. So, so he's seeing these false guides that are, that are pointing to the map of the Old Testament, and they're, they're pointing to this map of the Old Testament and saying, it leads away from Jesus. That's actually, that's what he does. And he's going through and just systematically and, and in a very comprehensive way, he's pointing, no, it actually does lead to Jesus. 
So we can do this in a church as people who just faithfully, if, if we read our Bibles in the morning and just know the Word of God, it can seem like a pretty isolated experience. But over time, for people who just who do that or just otherwise engage in learning about what the Bible says, we can become people who point towards the right truth, towards, the, towards or, or we could always point people to, to other books or to sermons that would lead people in the right path, getting them to follow uh, the right guides. What he also does is he points them to God, who, who is our guide and our help along the way. So he says uh, in chapter 2 he, he, and 4, he reminds them that Look, just, just like if you're hiking and you've been hiking for a few hours, maybe you didn't have food with you, you're going to be tired, you're not going to want to continue the journey anymore. And in the Christian life, often these times are in difficult temptations to sin. So he's reminding them at those times, hey, Christ is your help right then. He is your strength right then because Christ himself suffered when he was tempted. When he became human, he went through every single thing that you'll ever go through. Every temptation that you ever go, have gone through, he understands it. He understands it deeply. So that I'm telling you, I'm guiding you to him and saying, when you're coming up to these difficult situations, pray to Jesus and he will be a merciful and faithful voice that is hearing you and will provide the help that you need. He's pointing them to their true help, to their true guide uh, in that way. He's pointing them to the past. Uh, he understands we're not the first people, we're not the first band of travelers who are following Jesus in this way. Uh, he's pointing them back to the, there's an example of Cain that he uses at one point. And he said, hey, do you guys remember Cain that we've read about, that you, that you grew up hearing about? Remember how he left the path of Jesus? Do you know where his life ended in that way? It wasn't good. And right now, his life is over. Those temptations don't seem very powerful to him anymore. But his path of life is the most relevant thing in his life right now. We could point people to what's happened in the past. And then finally, in conclusion, he points people ahead to eternity. So on a trail as a band where we're pointing people to the destination and to the home. He points them to a better abiding possession, to, to the great reward that God has stored up for us. Because he knows and we know that the day is coming when, when we will gather together, but we won't gather to encourage one another. We won't need to do that anymore because all the sin in our hearts will be gone. We will be with Jesus and we will be fully like Him. We will be seeing Him face to face. We will gather to sing and worship and rejoice and we will gather together in perfect rest. No need to encourage one another. But, but what He's telling us today in 1025 is until that day, until we're home and done with this journey, the call for all of us is to encourage one another to follow Jesus. So let's pray towards that end. Father, we thank you for the grace that you showed us in Christ to send Christ to earth to, to save rebels against you. We pray that you would be merciful and gracious to us to pour out on this church a spirit of encouragement that we would encourage others, prepare them for the day when we all meet Jesus. Pray this in his name. Amen.